One might think private equity is the only way to buy or sell a company. But today I'm talking to Elliot Holland, a Harvard Business School alum and the founder of Guardian Small Business Acquisition Services. With over 15 years experience, Elliot is a small business buying expert who's passionate about helping everyday business buyers close their first deal. Elliot's experience lies in due diligence, vetting businesses for purchase and finding the right capital for each deal. He's author of the due diligence chapter of Closing the Deal, and he joins me today on this bonus episode of The Business of Tech. Today's episode is supported by CoreView. Your customers need your Microsoft 365 expertise, and CoreView has the only M365 management platform designed for MSPs. Manage hundreds of tenants, automate manual tasks, and monitor compliance, all while intelligently comparing to the baseline. With a no-code control approach, CoreView revolutionizes your Microsoft 365 administration. This powerful platform enables automatic reporting and remediation, ensuring optimal performance and security. The best part? You achieve this high level of service without the need for a large workforce, allowing you to focus on growing your business through efficiency. Want to know more? Visit coreview.com MSP and find out more. Well, Elliot, thanks for joining me today. Happy to be here. Excited. I'm super excited, too, because you've got a kind of a different approach to buying companies and thinking about them than, than the kind of traditional raise capital investment dollars kind of approach. Give me kind of a, like a high level way that the way you think about buying companies. Increasingly, everyday folks are buying businesses. That is senior managers and companies, that is small business owners, that is marketing managers, that is IT managers, that is everyone from 25 to 55, leveraging um, an SBA 7A program that is 90% government-backed debt you can get at the local bank in your city, and leveraging that platform to do deals that are up to $10 million in purchase price. And these deals are getting increasingly popular, and uh, it's a very exciting space to know more about. Okay. For those of us that like don't think a lot about buying companies, but have been th- but hearing all the M and A craze, particularly in our space, you almost would be inclined to think that private equity is the only capital option out there. Like, well, what are the other options for <laughs> for buying companies? Um, increasingly, private equity is not only not the only option, but one that's not all that favorable for owners. And so if owners have a choice of private equity and some other option, they're going to consider some other option because we all know how capital focused private equity is going to be. And sometimes people want something. So let's talk about the other option. So there are independent sponsors, which are people that have typically like floated out of a private equity firm and now they operate an independent entity with all their relationships. There's also a group called ETA, Entrepreneurship Through Acquisition, or search funds or self-funded search, which are more the everyday folks that endeavor to buy a business uh, using a, a, a debt from their local bank. And so I could be more specific, but those are generally the three types of business buyers. No, I just need, I wanted to get a high level just to get a sense of like, where are the way you're doing it now, particularly because most of my audience is going to be operating a business. And I think they're going to be thinking about buying another business as an expansion or, you know, an ability to, to, to accelerate growth, or they're looking you know, that, that acquisition for hiring where they need talent right. and they want to, they find it. So 
give me a little, you, you spent a lot of time thinking about due diligence. You know, what, what are the, the things that you need to know to, to start thinking about doing that properly? Sure. So the first thing you need to understand is that you can't trust anything. So nice person goes to church, deacon in the church, four kids, all that kind of stuff is great. But when people are selling businesses for three to 10 times EBITDA, it's one of the highest motivation times for people to lie. So you got to know you can't trust anything. You got to know that even though you may spend time in your accounting system, you're not an accounting expert, so you need to get some help. And you need to know that there's sort of the financial piece of due diligence, but also like the business, operational, commercial side of due diligence. And when you're putting up real money, your own money, and you need to be sure that you're getting those things right. Well, I, I definitely, I bought a company back when I ran my own managed services provider. And I can tell you, I screwed that up pretty badly. And it, it, the number one was doing a little too much trusting. You know, what are those sort of C strategies for identifying and vetting those businesses to buy? Well, you need to start with the quality of earnings. And it's a quality of earnings is a mini audit that actually helps business owners go in and when they don't have an accounting background to go in and find out where the issues are, make sure that the cash flows are correct and really get a general understanding of the business. The other pieces are the, the operational and like the commercial, the operational being like who's on first, who's in the company, who's doing what are they staying? The commercial is how good is this company at communicating to the market what they're doing and creating leads and customers. And so you need to do all of that in terms of the different pieces that enable you to go confidently into an acquisition. Well, how much, how much sort of like truth and exposure should I expect at various stages in, in a buying? So for example, you know, early in the stage, we're sort of just talking, they're going to expose some information, but I would think over the course of the process, you're going to get a lot more. Walk me through like how much information at what stage you should expect to get in due diligence. So generally, you have about 90 to 120 days to close a small business acquisition. And small business, I mean, under $10 million broad. And because that timeline is so short relative to finding, like doing due diligence, getting to know the owner, getting to know the business, getting the financing lined up, you generally get all the information you ask for within about a week. Now, sometimes an owner will hold back a customer list or some other kind of proprietary thing until later on in the process. But generally, outside of that, you'll get it all within a week. Okay. Now, but if I'm thinking about it, like, what, walk me through sort of the stages of that 90 to 120 days, right? Because the sure. first round, I'm probably asking for certain bits. You know, what are, what are kind of the lists and information you're asking as you go through the process? Uh, so let's say I'm trying to buy your business, Dave. All right. Okay. So first off, I'm looking for businesses to buy. And I find Dave's amazing business. And I'm like, this is the one for me. So you I'm want, my, you, you want my podcast business. Let's do I it. I want okay? it. I want <laughs> it. And so I'm going to send you what's called a letter of intent, which is my offer letter. It's going to say, I'm willing to pay this price, this structure, this timeline. What do you think? You're going to get 10 of those. You're going to negotiate the best one. Say, Elliot, I like yours the best. I'm going to sign it. Once you sign the LOI, now we're into formal due diligence. But let's walk back to before due diligence in terms of what data I would have had. So two ways that goes. If you, if Dave had gone and gotten a business broker, then the business broker would have put together what's called a confidential information memorandum, which is a 10 to 30 page memo on the business meant to maximize the value that buyers are willing to offer for the business. If there's no broker in the situation, then what you probably would have sent potential buyers 
are one or two years of taxes and one or two years of financial income statement balance sheet. So I'm making my offer with that somewhat limited information. Once I make my offer and it's accepted, now I get to ask you for almost anything that I want and you have to sort of open the kimono for those 90 days for me to kick all the tires to make sure I still want to get the deal. Gotcha. Talk to me a little bit about how common that is early before the letter of intent, because, you know, a lot of time people are just sort of flirting with the idea of businesses. They're considering it. You know, do you just walk up to a business owner and say, hey, I want to buy you. Give me all your your, your uh, tax information. Like kind of talk me through the dynamics of that. Sure. So I'll just use the same analogy. I'm buying Dave's company. And let's say I knew Dave for 10 years in the industry and I love managed services. Maybe even I had a company that was uh, complimentary to this. So instead of asking, hey, you want to sell, uh, a better question is, hey, have you ever thought about what your exit plan or transition plan is for this business? Or have you ever entertained any offers for this business? Um, I know you used to own it, so you probably said no, but have any come? Um, has there ever been a moment when you thought about selling it? You want to kind of pry into, have they thought about this before or are you bringing this idea up to them for the first time? Now, no matter what the answer is, if you're interested in the business, at some point you're going to have to say, hey, I'd like to make an offer to buy your business. And most business owners, even if they're like, I'm not selling, whether that's a negotiating tactic or not, the next thing will be, how much do you want to pay? And to answer that question, you would need the financials and the taxes. And so you iteratively get to a business owner sharing this private information. Let me say something else for the record. All of this is shared under a non-disclosure agreement. So before you should send your information, before a broker sends it off to anyone else, You'll have a two to four page non-disclosure that just lays out. I run my own business too. You can't share this with anybody. And if so, we can see you for everything. Gotcha. Now, one of the things you've really focused on is this idea of acquiring business with no money down of their, of, of your own kind of, okay. That sounds fantastic, right? It sounds like great to buy something. Walk me through kind of practically how that would look like, what do I need to do? Is it really no money down? Am I putting collateral down? Like, kind of give me a sense of how that actually works. Sure. And I'm not going to be this fake guy pitching a snake oil. So let me be very specific. You can absolutely do this, but not all deals that are done by independent folks are done this way. Sometimes you put 10% down, but you can put 0% down with other people's money. Here's what that looks like. So I'm, you and I have agreed to a sale price. And I know there's this SBA 7A program where they will put up 90% of the capital and I'm responsible for raising 10% of the capital, right? So that's 90% of it taken care of. So I only have this 10. Now, Elliot or Dave, where did I get the 10? Here's where you do it. Because this ecosystem of independent business buyers is getting so popular, there are dozens, 50, 100, lots of folks that love investing in these, what they call self-funded deals. The reason why is because it's very hard to get 90% debt on a business. And so since the SBA through the government is backing your 90% debt, it juices the equity return. So a bunch of equity investors are looking for these deals. So what you should do is start cultivating relationships, get on forums, LinkedIn, look for these folks so you have a couple of people. And when you find that dream business like Dave, you say, hey, I don't really want to put this 10% up. I'm already going to put a personal guarantee through this loan and I'm going to go run this business. So I'm putting things up in lieu of cash. I would like you to put the 10% in. And for that, I'll give you a portion of the business. And the typical split is about 70% of the common equity goes to the entrepreneur buying the business. 
30% goes to the equity investors to put in 10%. And the equity investors on top of their 30%, they get a preferred return. So each year, that investment that they made ticks off like it was debt and gives them a bit of a cash payment each year to give them some benefit for putting up all of the capital. I say, and I like you, like you keep saying how great my business is and everyone wants to buy it because that's always nice and flattering. But talk to me a little bit about like their, the investment theses of the, of the people that are doing this. Cause obviously, so they're putting in some of that money. What kind of give me a little sense of what they are putting in and what they're expecting to get back on that investment. So depending on what report you see. And when you when you know there's a report on the industry, you know that they're starting to get enough interest for somebody to spend their time writing a report. Um, and if you're in managed services or IT services, you know what that means. So people are expecting about a 30% return. It's the average return for deals like this. Now, I could give you different years, different blah, 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 but that's generally what it is. But what are they physically expecting? So what they're expecting is that First off, Dave, and this is a different point of view than I have a private equity than what you see in the Wall Street Journal. But the first thing is if I put in 10% of equity and pay down 90% of debt and do nothing else, I'm going to get to almost a 30% return. If I do nothing else, then pay off the debt. So this is almost like a mortgage on a business. So what they're saying is I think this entrepreneur who's walking up interested in buying this business has enough know-how either in this industry or business operations or at least the financial house and we can get a general manager that they won't screw up the debt. And if they won't screw up the debt, then I'm pretty certain that I'm going to get a decent return. And that's kind of the base case, Dave. Now, most investors, like if I wanted to buy it, I can't go say, hey, guys, I'm just going to go pay off the debt. Nobody wants to hear that. But I'm going to put together a plan of things that I'm going to do in the business. Maybe I'll modernize some systems. Maybe I have this great CRM knowledge. Maybe I'm going to bring AI into it in a certain way. Maybe I have a sales relationship that I can open up, right? And so I'm going to put all these things in a plan and deliver the plan to the investors. And they're going to say, first off, do I think this dude can pay off the debt? Second, do I think he can execute some portion of this plan? Because we know the first day he gets in there, things are going to shift. And if those two things make them feel comfortable, they'll put their money. Gotcha. So what are sort of the common mistakes people are making when they're buying companies? What are the big things that you look for and warn them off of? I'm going to answer that. I want to add one more thing in here on the last question. Notice I didn't say fancy credentials, not once on this show. This is stuff everyday folks can do. If you have some fancy credentials, those are great, but you don't need it. Now, what mistakes do people make? So one of the big ones is not doing a quality of earnings or a financial audit on the business. Uh, small business financials are too messy when they start. There's no sort of, um, there's not like a SEC governing how they have to do them. There's no regulation. So you need to actually get a quality of earnings done on this business to make sure if they're saying they're doing $500,000 of profit, they're actually doing $500,000 of profit. The second thing people make mistakes on is in a lot of our lives, as we made our bones, we, we walked into situations where we were trying to get information and we walked in with like a clipboard, Dave. Here's my 27 questions that I want to ask Dave about his business. So, hey, Dave, how do you get new customers? <laughs> hey, Dave, uh, when's the last time that you added a new uh, service line? That's not how you get this done. 
you are both asking questions of the seller and getting to know the seller and getting the seller to like you in the same question and answer. So you need to have some general idea of what you're going to ask, but leave the clipboard at home, make it conversational. Um, you're going to get better answers and you're going to get better rapport. And the third thing, and this comes to the trust piece, is too many people accept documents that aren't like from the base document sort. So if you're asking for a QuickBooks financials data, right, it should say QuickBooks at the top or look like the QuickBooks header. If it's looking like, hey, I need information from your HubSpot CRM, it should have HubSpot stuff at the top and the bottom. Um, if it's a set of financial analysis year over year, you should know that although it might look prettier to you because somebody's put it together in nice rows, because it no longer has the integrity or the format of QuickBooks, somebody manipulated that data. And so now you should trust it a bit less. So I see a lot of people make mistakes of looking at the fan fancy financials from, say, a broker that look cute, but they've been manipulated. And so therefore, you should believe in less. And how much of success is culture fit? Like, is it just come down to like people getting along? How much of that is, is what works out? I would say 20 to 25% of the deal is that, which is why in your process, you need to not only get the question answered, but you need to build a rapport with the seller because the seller can introduce you to the business as this great person that I really like, which you're going to love as well. It's going to take care of you. Or, hey, here's Elliot. He bought this thing. Hey, I'm going to the Bahamas. Bye. <laughs> the other thing that I believe is sort of important here is if you're in managed services and you're buying a managed service business, A, you're going to have respect that's already an operator. But B, it's likely that their culture is somewhat like yours, which is why I recommend you generally buy in industries you understand. Now, if you're a managed service provider and you want to go buy like a roofing company, right? It's probably going to be a little different because you're dealing with kind of white collar computer talent primarily. And now you go into a blue collar talent environment. It's going to be a bit tougher, not impossible, but that cultural piece might not be there. So you may need something to mitigate that. Like, hey, let me, let me grab my brother who works as a plumber and work him into the deal so we can do something together. Does this kind of strategy work if I kind of want to buy up? Like say say I'm trying to like pull together a merger or I'm a small independent operator and I want to buy into a larger org. Like does this methodology work for that too? Absolutely. And what's beautiful is because everyday folks can do it and because the uh, SBA notes are 90% backed by the government, it makes it very easy to say, hey, I'm I'm in this three or four years. I built something from scratch. I like it. I understand the industry. I can run a business, right? I want to go buy the local guy that's doing the stuff that I'm doing, but he's 10 years in the game, much bigger. And, and really, the it's a win-win-win for everyone, right? There are, and you've heard this, baby boomers retiring all over the place. They have these businesses that are sometimes hard to sell. And so that person is looking for a buyer, as much as you're looking for a seller, the bank wants to put money to work and get interest. So everybody's happy. Well, I like ending on everything. Everybody's happy. Elliot, if, if people are interested in getting more information, what, what would you point them at? Sure. Go to guardiandudiligence.com or Google Elliot Holland. And if you get it anywhere close, my SEO will get you to the right place. And my two main socials are Twitter and YouTube. I am Elliot E. Holland on Twitter or the King of QOE. And then I am at Guardian Due Diligence on YouTube. And so you can find me any of those places and my contact information is on my website. 
Elliot, this has been fascinating. Thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having me, Dave. The Business of Tech is written by me, Dave Sobel, under ethics guidelines posted at businessof.tech. This episode was edited and produced by Picture This Video. If you like the content, please make sure to hit that like button and follow and subscribe. It's the free and easy way to support the show and help us grow. You can also check out our Patreon, where you can join the Business of Tech community at patreon.com slash mspradio, or buy our Why Do We Care merch at businessof.tech. Finally, if you're interested in advertising on the show, visit mspradio.com slash engage. Thanks for listening today, and I will talk to you again on the next episode of The Business of Tech. Part of the MSP Radio Network.